This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. The only way to become a good person or to make a better society is by studying goodness. Many people think all you need to do good or be good is to have good intentions. But you can no more be good without studying how to be good than you can play piano without studying how to play piano or practice medicine without studying medicine. There's a word for the study of goodness and how to make a good world. Wisdom. Unfortunately, however, for much of the last century, few schools and even few parents have taught wisdom. The result is moral chaos. Most of the wisdom of Western civilization, the civilization that has been the most successful in history in making good societies, comes from the Bible. That's why the Bible is the most influential book ever written. So I'll share with you some of the wisdom from just one book of the Bible, the fifth, Deuteronomy. One. Do not show partiality in judgment, chapter 1, verse 17. A compassionate society is built on justice, not compassion. That might sound counterintuitive, but while we should be compassionate in our private lives, the state must be preoccupied with justice. That is the reason for this law. Judges are forbidden not only to show favor to the rich, but also to the poor. The purpose of a judge is to dispense justice. 2. Do not be afraid of anyone. Also chapter 1, verse 17. Every human being has fears. The question is, whom do we fear? And for most people, only if you fear God will you not fear men. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the few Germans to actively oppose the Nazi regime, and who was Okay, uh, we're now in volume three. It's Friday, 14 October, the year of our Lord, 2022. We're honored to have Dennis Prager join us for his third volume of the Rational Bible. The first volume was Genesis. The second volume was Exodus and now Deuteronomy. Uh, Dennis, America is in a moral and um, moral chaos, uh, the lack of wisdom. Uh, why have you decided to, given how busy you are, I mean, you get one of the biggest radio shows in the country, you're writing columns all the time, you're speaking all the time. First of all, tell the audience, how do you find time to go and do these amazing books uh, based on the books of the uh, old, beginning books of the Old Testament? That. So I want you, 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 you will truly crack up at my response. When I got Deuteronomy in the mail, as, as soon as it was first physically published, it came out just this past week, but I got it months ago, got it in the mail. People think, oh, were you excited? Were you jubilant? Were you proud? And I give you my word of honor. This was my immediate reaction. I looked at it, 
saw that it was the same size as my Genesis and Exodus commentaries. And I just said to myself, when the hell did I write this? So I have asked me <laughs> the exact same question you just asked. I don't know the answer. <laughs> no. Listen, and particularly, you know, I, I was raised, uh, a, I'm a Roman Catholic, and I know a lot of our evangelical, and some of the um, the evangelicals have a much deeper grounding than the Old Testament than uh, than Catholics and a lot of Protestants. One of the powers of your book, and the reason I recommend it, as you know, we've had you on the show for both Genesis and Exodus, is that if you're not deeply familiar with the wisdom uh, and the power of the Old Testament, there's no better introduction than these books, and it's just so powerful. What I didn't know, until I got your, your volume of this, is how prevalent Deuteronomy it was in the founding of the nation, in the writings of the founders, and how much that they extracted uh, from it and used it. Uh, can you tell us about that? Why, why This is a foundation, it's a foundational uh, text of the American Republic. It's the least known, spectacularly important work, and uh, two examples. The founders according to an American university professor who, who did serious research on this, the founders cited Deuteronomy more than any other book, secular or religious, which is astonishing. Second place was the French Enlightenment thinker Montesquieu, and the first was Deuteronomy. And Jesus cites Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Torah, the first five books, and any other book of the Bible except for the Psalms. So it, it just gives you an idea, and it makes perfect sense. It has the Ten Commandments, which is, are also in Exodus, but it has 240 laws. A society that were just governed by Deuteronomy would be a beautiful society. It, it's, However, people, their eyes glaze over when they read it. They, they don't stop and realize the staggering significance uh, of, of the book. If you want, I'll, I'll tell you now, or you could wait till later, my favorite law of the 240 uh, in Deuteronomy. No, let, let, let's hear it now, because here's one of the powers, and you had the Fox piece that was so powerful. But one of the reasons I tell people to, to get this, you, you contemporize, you can see this in, in the, the, the quandary we're in, not just the economic and financial and uh, invasion of the southern border, geopolitical, all that, but the deeper moral crisis that we're in right now is a country and, and kind of it, we've lost our moorings, right? Or maybe maybe um, the MAGA movement, maybe the conservative movement hasn't lost their moorings, but the nation has definitely lost its moorings. And that's what I think is so powerful about this book. So tell me your tell me your favorite of the 240. What is Dennis Prager's? Yes. Top? So th th this is this is proof to me that human beings alone could not have written this stuff. It is so staggeringly different from the rest of the world then and the rest of the world for the next 3,000 years. So there's a law that if an Israelite goes into battle and they're victorious and he sees a woman he wants, he cannot touch her. He can, however, take her to his house where she is to sit and mourn her family for 30 days Again, he cannot touch her. All he does is, is provide her shelter and food while she mourns her family, who presumably died. And then if he wants her, he can only have her if he marries her. 
So think about the amount of rape in virtually every war in human history. And, and in the last World War II, the amount of rape of, of, by Soviet soldiers of millions of German women, it was considered booty. Women were a prize in war, period, end of issue. And, and here comes a law, you can't even touch her unless you marry her, and you can't marry her immediately. You have to see her as a human being first for 30 days while she mourns her family. So this is virtually unknown to people. It's in Deuteronomy, and that's why I say it's my favorite law in the book. Let's talk about this, you, because you talk in the Fox article, and as you read through the book, seven ways forward out of this kind of moral chaos and anarchy that, that exists in, in modern America today. But talk to us, how did the two, where the 240 laws come from? How did they evolve and eventually come right. up to actually be included in the book itself? Well, Deuteronomy is Greek for Deuteros is two, is, excuse me, is uh, second yeah, or two. And Nami is from nomos, meaning law. This is, so to speak, the second law. It's all, unlike the other books, this is all Moses speaking. He is recapitulating the laws and the events of the previous books of the of the Torah, of the first five books. So that's that's why this is so significant. The man who spoke with God more directly than anyone in the Old Testament, then it says that, those words. Only Moses ever spoke God face to face. Of course, it's a, it's a, it's a metaphor. He never, you can't see God's face. It actually says that in, in the Torah. If, if You would die if you saw God's face, as it were. But uh, this, the greatest of all the prophets, what, what does he have to say? And he kept keeps summarizing the laws the need to love God, the need to obey God. And that is why the book is considered so remarkable. Why did the founders love it so much? For its moral insights and its governing insights. For example, uh, there, is, there is a law that uh, the king or the ruler cannot have too many horses, cannot pursue personal profit. How's this? This is another obscure law that n almost nobody would know unless they really have studied this, he has to write for himself a Torah. He has to write all these laws down. Imagine if every president had to write the Constitution down as part, literally handwrite the Constitution. That would be the equivalent. And I think it would be, I think it would be great if every member of Congress, if every judge had to write the Constitution out. So the, it's filled with these staggering insights. And it has the law, which Fox also published uh, uh, from, from my commentary, that a man cannot wear women's clothing and a woman cannot wear man's clothing. Can you imagine anything more contemporaneously relevant? Yeah, yeah, no, from thousands of years ago, a couple of millennia, and we're, we're going to get to that in a second. I'm going to pull some clips. But let me go back. You, you make this very powerful case uh, up front that uh, this was such a foundational text of the founding of our republic that um, and it, it, where do, and you say one of the biggest things, problems of the 20th century is that we've gotten off from teaching wisdom. And this book 
is the book is teaches a very deep um, and uh, powerful uh, way to wisdom. Where in the arc of American intellectual life, since this was so foundational to the to the founders in the revolutionary generation, where did it where did it dissipate? Where where did we lose this as a foundational text to the fact that I consider myself pretty well read in that time? And some of the things you brought up to me were were like I said, wow, I didn't know that. Where did that come off track? Where did we lose the the focus in the teaching of this very powerful document? Well, it goes hand in hand with the secularization of America and, and the West generally. And, and I've asked this question my whole life. When did we go off the rails? When, when did the left, which is sort of co-equal, but not entirely because they were a secular conservative, but it's sort of coextensive with secularization of the West. The, the death of the, of the Bible as the central text and the rise of the left coincide directly. At the end of the 19th century, um, most American professors who got PhDs got them in Germany. Germany had already begun its flirtation with socialism. Remember, Karl Marx was German. And one of the reasons that they, interestingly, one of the reasons that they were, uh, the Germans were, into socialism was to keep Germans from moving to America. <laughs> we'll bribe you to stay in Germany. It's, 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 the, it's so fascinating history, these tidbits of, of the forks on the, in yes. the road that, that make history. Anyway, these professors would come back. They, they were steeped already then from Germany. I have, by the way, just a parenthetical note. I have many mottos about life. One of them is Germany is always wrong. It's, it's, one, it's one, of, one of my ways of understanding the human condition. <laughs> there are a lot of nice individual Germans, but Germany is always wrong. It's really, it's eerie. Uh, up through Angela Merkel. I mean, she, she really screwed up Europe uh, with her reliance on, yes. on Russian oil, with her knocking out nuclear power, with her bringing in a million people uh, from from the Middle East. I mean, just mistake after mistake. Their, their batting average is is close to zero, which which is, you know, even just flipping a coin, you should bat 500. So <laughs> anyway, they, they went to Germany. Uh, they got their PhDs in Germany, came back, and gradually we ended up with the secularization and the leftization, if you will, of the society and uh, the, the arrogant belief and it is so arrogant that only the, the Greek word hubris fits that we know better than the Bible. This is a given uh, uh, among secularists and certainly leftists. We are wiser, not, not, and by the way, not only than the Bible, we are wiser than Washington, Lincoln, Madison, Jefferson. The, the hubris of what I think is right and what this world-changing document thinks is wrong is is quite amazing well let's talk about that for a second because in the fox piece and in the book you make the case that we're in uh not just moral but intellectual right mm -hmm. we, we've lost our way america's lost our way both morally and intellectually 
and that mm-hmm. there's seven there's seven ways forward as 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 you see in Deuteronomy. So walk us through that. How does the book actually give America a guide to get out of this quandary where we're both morally we have moral and intellectual chaos? Well, I'll I'll just begin with the intellectual chaos. A society that says that men give birth, it transcends moral chaos. It means that objective truth no longer exists. To say that men give birth is a lie doesn't fully grasp the magnitude of the intellectual farce that that we're engaged in. The amount of of lies people have to have to say are true. America is systemically racist, is is another example. Uh, is is an intellectual problem. The forty five percent of American young people say that quote I am for free speech, but not for hate speech, not understanding that the latter makes the former impossible. If you are for banning hate speech, you are not for free speech. It it, it means if you say you're for free speech except for hate speech, what you're saying is I'm for free speech only if the speech I agree with. (coughs) Excuse me. That's the that's what you're saying. And they don't it's it's not only a morally problematic statement. It's intellectually problematic. They don't understand that what they said makes no sense. If you are for free speech, you are for allowing hate speech. That's definitional to free speech. The, the, the intellectual caliber of the average professor is minuscule. It, it, it's not that just that they're, they're moral fools. The, the intellectual level of, of the university, do you know how often I see basic grammatical errors in, in, in articles that I, that I read? People don't know the difference between it's and it's with an apostrophe. I wonder if most high school graduates or even college graduates can define an apostrophe. The intellectual level is is so low. People don't study music and art. They've substituted vast amounts of sex for music, art, and literature. That the, that the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school, the English department would take down the mural of the greatest writer of English, William Shakespeare, and instead put up a mural of a gay Caribbean uh, a poet because she's female, she's gay, and she's not white. They don't give a damn about intellectual excellence at the universities. Forget they don't. their moral barometer is broken. They don't give a damn about intellectual honesty or intellectual rigor. Taking down Shakespeare's mural at the English department? That because he was white and European and male? What does that have to do with the excellence of his work? So the whole intellectual world has crumbled. And and I, I knew why when I was at Columbia. I wrote an essay like 20 years ago. How I Found God of Columbia. And this is a true story. I, I was going a little nuts while I was at graduate school at Columbia because I was being taught nonsense. I was at the School of International Affairs where I majored in communist affairs. And I was taught that the U.S. and the Soviet Union were essentially moral equivalents, that it was two superpowers 
fighting for power, not tyranny versus freedom, but superpower versus superpower. I was taught that men and women are basically the same. So uh, th it's worse today, but it, it, it was already then. Anyway, one day, it's the only time in my life I could say I had an epiphany. Something just plopped into my brain, uh, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. I was walking around the campus wondering, why, is, why are bright people teaching me nonsense? And all of a sudden, a phrase in Hebrew came to me that I had last said in first grade. I went to yeshiva till the yeshiva, uh, it's a, a religious Jewish school, rigorous, half the day in Hebrew, half the day in English, very rigorous education. And in first grade, we would say at the beginning of the day, certain verses from the Bible in Hebrew. And I had not said it since first grade. And it came into my brain as a graduate student answering my question, why are so many smart people teaching me nonsense? Wisdom begins with fear of God. And I then realized there's no wisdom at Columbia because there's no God or Bible at Columbia. And that changed my life. That's why I call it an epiphany. So that's regards the intellectual. Now regarding uh, the uh, the moral and the guidelines from De Deuteronomy. I'll give you one, uh, any number of examples you want, just ask me. But here's a big one. You cannot favor the poor or the rich in judgment. That verse alone shatters the concept of social justice. In the Bible, there's only social, there's only justice. There is no term social justice. Either something is just or not just. Social justice is not just. That's why they don't call it justice. Social modifies justice to make it an injustice. If a poor man and a rich man are in your courtroom, social justice dictates that you favor the poor man. Justice says that you favor who is right. For the left, social justice trumps justice. And, and that's, that verse alone from Deuteronomy is life-changing. Let me go back and tie that to what you just said at Columbia. And, and you, you talk about um, wisdom and going forward w with the country. If Columbia, if you look at the United States today, and particularly the administrative state, of which the Harvard and the Yale and the Columbia guys all all you know, they're all the factotums. They're the people that man this, the Ivy League schools, the best and the brightest. If there's no fear of God there, they're beyond secular now. I think when you see the apparatus in, in, in the way it works, it's actually atheistic. So how can the country have wisdom, the type of wisdom you need to be a world leader, the type of wisdom you need to be what we've done for two centuries is to be the not just the beacon of liberty, but to be able to be uh, someone that can show people what it means to be free men and women. If, 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 God, if we have no fear of God in the administrative state, and in fact, they mock God every day in the administrative state, how do we go forward as a nation? Well, let me deal with the fear of God issue because it's so important. By the way, you will find this uh, very, uh, very interesting, I think. <laughs> I feel a little 
wrong in telling you what you'll find interesting, but I, I, I think you will. Uh, very many modern translations do not use the word fear when the Hebrew, and I know biblical Hebrew like English, when the Hebrew does say, fear God. They say, revere God. Many modern translations are uncomfortable with the idea that people should fear God. By the way, there's only one other being that we are supposed to fear, and that is mother and father. There's an explicit law in the Torah. A man shall fear his mother and father. It puts mother first because you're more likely to fear your father, and it wants parental equality. And always now you see a man shall revere his mother and father. Bullcrap. Fear. And they're the only beings that we're told to fear, God and our parents. There is a hierarchy in life. Our parents are above us, and God is above our parents. As regards fear of God, let me just say this. If all Germans feared God more than man, there wouldn't have been World War II or Hitler or the Holocaust. If more Russians feared God than Stalin, there wouldn't have been a gulag. If Chinese feared God more than Mao, there wouldn't have been 60 million slaughtered by the communist regime in China. Fear of God is the essence of liberation from fear of man. And we saw it in the United States. The only organized opposition to the irrational mandates of, uh, of the last few years, the unscientific, uh, unconstitutional lockdowns, was, was from the religious community. Most religious leaders were sheep, just like the secular. I say with great sadness, because I'm religious. It's true for the synagogue, it's true for the churches. But what organized opposition did exist was overwhelmingly religious. That's because these people feared a God more than the New York Times or the CDC. Uh, Dennis, can you hang on for one second? We're going to take a uh, commercial, short commercial break. The third volume in the series, The Rational Bible, Deuteronomy, is now joining Exodus and Genesis. Dennis Prager has uh, written these, the commentary. We're going to discuss it more, the moral intellectual chaos in our nation and how the first books of the Old Testament can act as a tremendous guide. Next in the world. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplug Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. 
They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. With gratitude, we, the students of the University of Minnesota Twin Cities Medical School Class of 2026, stand here today among our friends, families, peers, mentors, and communities who have supported us in reaching this milestone. Our institution is located on Dakota land. Today, many indigenous people throughout the state, including Dakota and Ojibwe, call the Twin Cities home. We also recognize this acknowledgement is not enough. We commit to uprooting the legacy and perpetuation of structural violence deeply embedded within the healthcare system. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. As we enter this profession with opportunity for growth, we commit to promoting a culture of anti-racism, listening and amplifying voices for positive change. We pledge to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine. Knowing that health is intimately connected to our environment, we commit to healing our planet and communities. We vow to embrace our role as community members and strive to embody cultural humility. We promise to continue restoring trust in the medical system and fulfilling our responsibilities as educators and advocates. We commit to collaborating with social, political, and additional systems to advance health equity. 
we will learn from the scientific innovations made before us and pledge to advance and share this knowledge with peers and neighbors. We recognize the importance of being in community with and advocating for those we serve. Okay, welcome back. That's the University of Minnesota Medical School. Not exactly the Hippocratic Oath they took to start. That's really, they're really starting their education. I want to bring in Dennis Prager. Dennis, how did we go from a republic that was founded on the on the three-legged stool of Athens, Jerusalem, and Rome uh, in these great, uh, powerful writings of wisdom of the Old and New Testament, the Bible, the Holy Bible, as the foundational document, to what you just saw there that took place a, a week or so ago in, um, in Minnesota? I wrote a piece years ago, How the Left Keeps Me Religious, and what you just showed is an example. I took a vow 40 years ago when I began radio that not only would I be fanatically committed to the truth, but I would try never to exaggerate. Because over time, you lose your credibility. You can exaggerate for only a certain amount of time. So this is not an exaggeration to say that the left is as much a source of my belief in God and the Bible as the as God and the Bible are. And what do I mean? The left hates the God of the of of the Western religions, of the Judeo-Christian religions. They think at, at the very least, if they don't hate him, they want to get rid of him. And they certainly want to get rid of the Bible, which they have successfully done in most cases. I, I didn't even see one. I checked in my last hotel room, there was no Bible. Alaska Airlines used to give biblical verses out with their meals. Now there are no meals and there are no biblical verses on Alaska Airlines. We, we have truly made this place bible free of Bible. So if the left had produced a beautiful world, intellectually and morally uplifting, I would have been challenged in my faith. Look, you can oppose the Bible. You can say it's completely irrelevant. You can say you have better values than it and produce something beautiful. I would have been challenged. I fully admit it. My, my faith is, is completely through reason, which is why I call my Bible commentaries the rational Bible. I don't say it's the only way to get to God, but it is my way. But they are so awful. They are so... They are so morally and intellectually divorced from what is good and what is true. What you just saw is a cult. It is a cult. And all of those young people reciting it have been rendered sheep. We are really going to have indigenous medicine as opposed to Western medicine treat us? Were there any indigenous, indigenous people's hospitals? Did they come up with antibiotics and surgery? What is the lie, the lie that these people are telling to themselves, and these are our future doctors and nurses? If this doesn't scare you, then you, 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 uh, you don't get scared properly. There's times to be scared and times not to. This is scary. 
What we are seeing. No, and I want to say something. This is this sure. this is not this is not this is not. You were at Columbia, you know, the top of the intellectual, but this is one of the top medical schools in the Midwest. These are not some community college or a, a group of uh, of uh, hippies out on some uh, some uh, farm. This is one of the most significant medical schools in the Midwest. How did I, how did this get embedded into our institutions? I can understand if people go and do this. It's a free country. You can go believe what you want to believe. You can follow whatever you think your spiritual calling is or your intellectual calling. But how did it get embedded into the basic heart of the system, Dennis Prager? Well, I have an answer, and that is everything the left touches, it ruins. You cannot name a discipline. I, I'm an amateur uh, a musician. I, I conduct orchestras periodically. So I, I know I know music pretty well. What what began when the left started infiltrating culture was through the arts. First it was the arts, early 20th century. So in music they came up with atonal music. For music to be music, it generally has to have melody, harmony, and tonality. If you don't have a tonal bass, if it's not in C or uh, E flat or whatever, then you have basically cacophony, just sounds, but they don't make anything not only beautiful, but meaningful. So it began there. Of course, in the arts, you, you ended up with, with uh, one of the, the most uh, respected painters standing on a ladder and throwing cans of paint onto a canvas, Jackson Pollock. And many people consider them great works of art. They go for tens of millions of dollars. You, you now have the New York Times uh, had a, a, a front page in its art section, and I actually cite this in, in, my, uh, in my commentary in another context, where the entire museum is a gigantic museum in the Netherlands had a an exhibition of sculpted poop yes poop as in fecal matter and the reviewer took it seriously walking among giant sculpted poops that were way taller than she was this this is what happens in a post judeo christian world Poop is beautiful. Men give birth. Cacophony is music. And now you have this. Everything the left touches. The left is a the left is a force of chaos. God made order for six days. God did not create for six days. God created very little in the creation story. He created the world in Genesis 1-1 and then created animals and humans. And that's it. The rest of the time, God makes order out of chaos. The second verse is chaos. The first verse is creation. The left, by rejecting this, is trying to undo order and make chaos. You saw that in the, in the film you showed. And you're saying uh, you're saying that that is uh, a cult. I just want to make sure because I totally agree with that. Let me That's show you. Correct. We have do we had Dr. Miriam, we had Dr. Miriam Grossman on the show yesterday. 
who's one of the experts in, in fighting this uh, gender uh, ideology, radical gender ideology. Let's go to the cut of Dr. Miriam Grossman. To share with you and your audience, I, I, I spoke to a dad yesterday from Connecticut. He told me the following story. He has a very emotionally disturbed daughter. She uh, had multiple psychiatric hospitalizations because she was suicidal. During one of those hospitalizations, she heard about being transgender and she started to go in that direction. He would not accept it. He would not accept that she was a boy. He just would, wouldn't hear about it. She was his daughter and he wasn't gonna budge on that. During one of her hospitalizations, Child Protective Services came in and they would not allow the girl to be discharged to her family for that reason, because the, the father refused to call her by a different name, a boy's name, and refused to use male pronouns. This father has not seen his daughter for three years. Three years. The, the Department of Child Protective Services took her away from a loving, wonderful family. This could happen to any family. People need to know that you're not immune. This is what's going on. If you don't, if you insist on living in reality and you will not uh, go along with your confused child's new identity, your home is considered unsafe and your child can be taken away and put into foster care indefinitely. Dennis Prager, um, the family, the nuclear family is at the center of the Judeo-Christian West civilization. Uh, it is under assault by every aspect, big tech, big media, everything. But it seems like where it's most assault is this radical ideology that's perpetuated by the state. What say you, sir? When I said it was a cult, one of the proofs is that every single cult's first attack is on parental authority. So that the, in the Soviet Union, you had uh, obedience to the party is much greater than to your parents. Every kid was supposed to join Komsomol, the Soviet Youth League. And Hitler, it was the Hitler Jugend, the Hitler Youth. You took a, a vow of obedience to Hitler, not to your parents. And in cults, that's, of course, what they do. Don't trust your family. Trust me, your cult leader. Parental authority is a major barrier to totalitarianism. The bigger the government, the smaller the parent. The bigger the parent, the smaller the government, just the way it works. So this, this, the left wants power. More than anything, it wants power. The story that Miriam Grossman told, uh, I, I, I don't want to cry on your show, but I, I could. I, I can't, but my anger is greater than my sadness, so I, I guess that works. But they took away this man's daughter because she's actually doing the right thing and saying, you're a girl and you need to embrace that fact. God made you a girl or nature made you a girl, whichever language would work better. You are a girl. And uh, that that is now considered a reason to take a child from a parent. The state can do that, and, and Americans are, are having their dinner at a restaurant in peace. It, it really does prove that 
people don't don't really yearn for for liberty. They they rather tune out at the the ongoing Sovietization of our society, which is which is exactly what is happening. How do, how do we combat this? We had the most important midterm election since 1862, since the early years of the Civil War. We have a financial crisis, an economic crisis, geopolitically. You know, this weekend is the 20th Party uh, Congress, so she's going to be emperor for life. We've got invasion of the southern border, whole issues about the nation's sovereignty. But it seems to me that this is deeper, more profound, and more difficult to overcome. We've got about five minutes left in the show. You've spent your career talking about these issues. In the last couple of years, you've given commentary on the foundational text of the Judeo-Christian West. In Dennis Prager's mind, what then is to be done? Look, we all have a, a limited span of years. I'm very healthy. My parents live very long, but you never know when you'll die. And that's true when you're 40, and it's true when you're in your 70s, as I just turned. And I have decided to devote these past 10 years to a Bible commentary, because I don't think that there is any other way out than people taking the seminal work of history seriously. The problem is you can't pick up the Bible and just read it and know what's going on, especially this, the foundational first five books. You, you can sort of follow it, but, but to draw the conclusions that need to be drawn, uh, I think, uh, needs an explanation. So I, I, do, I do believe, and I, as it were, I, I put my time where my mouth is, <laughs> and, and you know nobody writes a commentary on Deuteronomy to get wealthy. I think that we can all agree on that. And most Americans don't know what Deuteronomy is, even though it's the most cited text by the founders and after Psalms, even by Jesus. But this is, this is the answer. It's for people to start to understand what we need to take seriously, God and the Bible. By the way, God alone without the Bible is, in my opinion, useless. If, you, if, if God didn't reveal his will, at least in the Ten Commandments, then, then what God do you believe in? And I, I, would, I, I do argue, and, I, and I, I make this point in the commentary, when people say they believe in God, you know nothing about the God they believe in, and you know nothing about them. Literally nothing. Hitler's troops went with a belt that said, Gott mit uns, God is with us. Did they believe in the God of the Ten Commandments? Of course not. They believe in the God of the Bible? No, but they believed in God. And atheists use that argument all the time against those of us who, who speak about the centrality of God to ethics. Oh, there were Nazis who believed in God. Yeah, they used the term, but they didn't believe in the God of this book. What... Um... I want to walk people through how they get access to all your writings and everything you're working on. You've got PragerU, you've got your radio show, you do commentary, you write articles, uh, you've got this, you've got Deuteronomy, and are you going to, is this going to end your Bible commentary, or are you I, This is only, it's the, it's the fifth volume of the first five volumes, but I didn't do them in order, so I still have numbers in Leviticus to go. And I, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's a big, it's it's a it's it's a big project. I'm in the middle of numbers, and then with Leviticus, I've already written twenty thousand words on one verse in Leviticus, that man shall not lie, with a man as he lies with a woman, 
And uh, I, oh, I wrote, you've, I, already, you've already written 20,000 20, words on one, on, on, on just on one, one verse of Leviticus? Because it it's, takes that long to explain what, what, the, what the Bible intended here. It has nothing to do with hatred of the gay. It has nothing to do with bigotry. But what, what, was, what was the attempt? And I did, obviously, a lot of research, and so that's how I got the 20,000 words. And by the way, just for, for your, your listeners, I do write interestingly. <laughs> I, I work mo most hard on, on making it terse, concise, and interesting. Anyway, you can access any of my books through Amazon, obviously. It's very, it's, they're, all, they're all there. You can access uh, 1,000 of my columns, literally, on the Internet. Uh, the, many of them are listed at townhall.com. Jewish World Review is the only one I know of that lists every single one of the thousand. Uh, but it's, it's also published by American Greatness and, and uh, Daily Wire and others. And, of course, I have a, I have a weekly fireside chat. 260-something have already been done. I only missed one week because I had COVID and I didn't want the, uh, the photographers or the video people to come in. I would have been happily, uh, happily to do it. I've, I've gotten COVID twice. I'm not vaccinated and I'm fine. In fact, I'm not vaccinated and therefore I'm fine is more accurate than I'm not vaccinated and <laughs> fine. Oh, and also I'm now doing... What, uh... Uh, let me just say this. This is really fascinating. Yeah. I now do, for the first time in my life, I am co-hosting something, a podcast called Dennis and Julie. You can watch it on YouTube and you can listen through any, any medium, including my website. And uh, she, is, she is 50 years younger than I am. And uh, it's fascinating to see the dialogues that we have. This is, she's, she's a wunderkind in every sense of the word. I see her as carrying on my values. She's not the only one, but, wow. but she's preeminent. I, 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 she, she sort of fell into my life. Uh, and and, and I, I, anyway, people should watch. It's called Dennis and Julie. It, it, it's riveting. We definitely will. Um, Dennis, also the radio show. When can people pick up your, your, uh, your renowned well, radio show? Yeah, thank you. It's it's of course on stations in, in most of the cities of the country, or just go uh, on uh, on iHeartRadio, or just go to DennisPrager.com and you know listen to the Dennis Prager Show. You can get it without commercials through PragerTopia. That's Utopia with the Prager. I'm I'm very grateful for your empathy, but the Rational Bible. That's the book. I absolutely love this book. And I've loved uh, Exodus and Genesis. So thank you very much. And uh, can't wait for Leviticus and Numbers. Dennis Prager, thank you for joining us in the war room. Honored Appreciate it. Honored.